Welcome to Thrive at Work, a podcast which offers insights and latest employment trends to help employers attract, retain and develop great people with me, Polly Rathbone-Ward. With special guests, we're going to be discussing the many and varied aspects of HR, from practical topics to overarching cultural themes. We'll be looking beyond traditional styles of management to bring new and people-centred ideas to forward-thinking organisations that want to shape a new future where people can thrive at work. Hello and welcome to this episode of Thrive at Work. These are tough economic times with recession on the horizon and day-to-day costs continuing to soar. Businesses may be considering ways to save costs to see them through uncertain times, but how can you keep employees engaged during difficult and turbulent times? My guest today is Gail Bennett, co-founder of Peopletopia, a business which specialises in leadership development and employee engagement. Gail and her co-founder Claire Portman believe that everyone deserves a great boss and that good managers bring out the best in their employees, helping them to be engaged, productive and impactful in their role. Welcome, Gail, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Polly. Um, So Peopletopia specialises in employee engagement. So let's get back to basics. What is employee engagement? How would you define it? There's lots of definitions out there. Um, You know, the CIPD have got models. You you see companies having lots of models. Um, I think for me, it's about engaged employees who want to do their best. So they have a two-way relationship with the company they work for. They feel communicated to and listened to. They're enthusiastic about their job. They want positive results. They care about their performance, the performance of the company, and they want to make a difference. Great, thank you. So what would be the signs, if you sort of walked into a business premises one day, what would be the signs of a sort of really engaged workforce that you'd be able to see? That's a tough question, actually. I was I was, um, I was, was pondering on that because typically you might think, oh, it's a buzzy workforce where everybody's chatting and laughing with each other, but actually some organisations just aren't like that. So for me, it's more around the things that you see under the surface. So whether there's collaboration going on, if you talk to employees, are they advocates? Do they talk about their company's products and services in a really positive light? There is, I think, just this sense of pride that comes through if, you, if you're engaged with your company that you work for. So um, engaged workplaces, they can look different. Sometimes they're loud and buzzy. Sometimes they're quiet and subdued. But people are engaged with their jobs. And when you talk to them, there's this pride coming from them that they want to do the best for the company they work for. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Um, and, and tell us what to, um, more about the sort of services that Peopletopia offer to clients. How do you actually work with businesses? So um, companies come to us for many different reasons. Either the engagement levels might be low and they want to improve it or engagement levels are good. Actually, that's what we're seeing more and more. People think their engagement levels are good, but they want to be even better. What we're seeing more and more now is an awareness of management development and leadership development being crucial. I think 
what we've seen in a lot of the companies we work with are kind of accidental managers. So managers who are great at what they do, they're suddenly put in a management role um, and they haven't got a clue how to do it. It could be very, very different from the day-to-day job they've been doing. So I think there's an awareness more and more about that now and the critical role of managers. So we see more and more um, interest in getting managers trained up to be emotionally intelligent managers who are skilled um, and can lead their teams in the best possible way. Um, so we always go in, we work out what the situation is, and we partner with companies. We take very much a partnership approach. We almost want to be part of the company that we work with, um, just to really get under the skin and work out what's going on. And then we put solutions in place to help that. Excellent. It's great to hear that um, businesses, in your view, are putting more investment into training managers, because I've seen that as well, that managers, you know, are absolutely you know, technical experts, great at what they yeah. do, end up getting promoted into a management role and end up leading a team. But as we know, that's a whole different skill set and um, they don't often get the training in that. So I'm I'm really glad to hear that 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 comes through in your work a lot. That's really interesting. Thank you. And even even through the pandemic, I think people realised it was more important than ever when people remote from their teams. So even through the pandemic, I think we thought things would just go a bit quiet, but companies were approaching us to, to do stuff proactively. So it's really, really good to hear. Yeah, <clears throat> the pandemic was a, a very interesting time, wasn't it? Because some managers sort of hid under the radar a little bit, thinking, oh, it might be over soon, so I'll, I'll put off the appraisal or I'll put off that difficult conversation until it's all over. And then, of course, it went on and on, and, and these difficult situations had to be dealt with in whatever way, um, remotely or virtually, or they just had to move ahead uh, with it. So it, but the role of the manager is extremely important and it's not to be underestimated I think. No absolutely and I think it often is I think people sort of think it's an add-on to the day-to-day job and actually it should just be a bit more crucial than that. Mm, Indeed so going back to employee engagement why is this so important why should businesses want their people to be engaged in terms of you know do you have any statistics around um, employee engagement and the importance of having engaged employees? There are loads of statistics around employee engagement and the importance of kind of good managers in engaging employees. So we know that companies with engaged employees are more successful, they're more profitable, they're more creative, employees take less time off sick, they're less likely to leave an organisation. Um, A lot of evidence around engagement shows the critical roles, as we've just been talking about, of managers and line managers and saying that actually, out of everything, that's the key thing that makes a difference. And there are some horrifying stats around that, actually. According to Gallup, 50% of employees leave their companies or have left their companies because of their manager. And in a study by the Harvard Business Review in 2018, 75% of survey participants said the most stressful aspect of their job was their immediate boss. Um, And probably my most favourite stat around this, probably, but also the most horrifying, in another study by the Harvard Business Review, 58% of people interviewed would trust a complete stranger, but only 42% of people would trust their boss. And I think that's staggering that more people would trust a complete stranger than their boss. And we often use that stat on our management development courses to really bring home to people the importance of that trust with your teams, because it is slightly horrifying, I think. That is staggering and really quite horrifying. I think it, so is there a real sense of distrust with, with your manager and immediate boss? Or what is behind that, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I think um, part of it is culture 
um, the culture of the organisation. So can I give upwards feedback to my manager? Can I get feedback from them? You know, what's the culture of the organisation like? But I don't know. I mean, we're, I think we're incredibly lucky with most of our clients that we don't seem to have that. You know, managers come along and they want to do the best for their employees. They come along really keen to learn, wanting to make sure that they're as good a boss as they can be. So we haven't personally come across that, but you know, I just think it's a horrifying stat. I suppose those people might not send their managers on management development courses, Polly, so we don't come across them. So I also wanted to talk about, I was really keen to do a podcast episode that talked around redundancy because the economic climate is so tricky at the moment. It's incredibly uncertain and businesses may be looking at ways to reduce costs, perhaps by restructuring or downsizing and perhaps making redundancies. And um, you came to mind, Gail, because I know we've known each other quite a few years and um, I know you have a story in your background around redundancy and we're not going to touch maybe uh, very much on that, aside from the legal sides of it, um, just how you can deal with somebody a bit more humanely throughout the (laughs) redundancy process. It can be done extremely badly and we've seen um, in the news some quite high profile cases of redundancies being announced and perhaps the redundancy process not being followed as it should be. Um, One example might be P&O Ferries that recently um, made an announcement of large scale redundancies over a pre-recorded Zoom um, message which um, is really quite an interesting way to go about it. Um, and not necessarily the best practice that I, I could think of. Um, would you mind sharing, um, Gail, your your experiences of redundancy? Yes, so I think what, what, what you're referring to, Polly, is when, when we spoke once, I mentioned that in when I was working for my previous employer, and I was with them for about 10 years, I got made redundant at least 10 times. And that was a combination of the whole team going, you know, and my team just not being there on the org chart anymore, um, or, my, you know, being pulled and being put at risk of redundancy. Um, but the very fact that I it happened at least 10 times showed that I still stayed and I carried on working for them, despite this kind of culture of restructuring every sort of six months to, to a year. Um, and that was mainly because they did it incredibly well, I think. They did it from a very humane perspective and and as you mentioned I think that's the absolutely critical thing so um, it wasn't until the last time that I actually took the hint and left and thought "Mm, I think they they might be trying to get rid of me here so not until that last time when I was kind of ready to leave did did I leave but I up until then I still wanted to work for them and that is a really interesting thing that the engagement that I felt and the pride that I felt in that organization outweighed the fact that people were being made redundant Um, You know, sometimes it was smaller redundancies, sometimes it was massive sort of company wide ones and they did have a massive impact on people, you know, people were losing people that they'd sat next to for 20 years in the workplace who was their best friend so it had a massive emotional impact on people, but actually they did it in such a way that they treated individuals with respect and humanity and, and I think that's the key thing, that's the key thing. So can you give some examples of, you know, how how did they get it so right? And what uh, what made the difference for you, I guess, because 
you know, you stuck it out for quite a long time and it must have been quite an unstable environment for there to be, um, you know, so many restructurings and, and being put at risk of redundancy so many times. I guess they were sorting out roles and perhaps changing uh, departments and teams and then which roles were doing what. Um, but you you stayed there even through this time of sort of uh, instability. Um so what made the difference for you? What can you give some specific examples of, you know, yeah, how can that fight? <laughs> I think communication is absolutely key. So the, the one thing they, they tried to do was avoid the Chinese whispers. And people knew that a restructure was coming. Um, you know, you can kind of see the writing on the wall before it sometimes happens, but they did it as quickly as possible. And I think that is brilliant you know you didn't hear about it and then had to wait three or four months for it you'd hear about it and then very very soon after it would be communicated to you and that just gets rid of those Chinese whispers where that massive period of uncertainty where people sometimes almost make up their mind to leave in that period so they really shortened that they used all sorts of different methods of communication so they used all company you know briefings and things they used team briefings where managers would talk through the structure and opportunities and things and they also had quite a lot of one-to-ones so managers were briefed and trained on making sure that they were talking regularly to their employees so you felt throughout the whole thing you felt very supportive actually and treated with consideration so most of the time I, I was pretty lucky to have a brilliant line manager who would talk through my options and just listen actually sometimes that's really important I think um, other things that they did is helped employees take control of what they could. So a tool that I found really um, important, and I know we've talked about this before, is Stephen Covey's circle of influence and circle of concern. Because I think half the reason people feel the way they do is because you feel this massive sense of lack of control. So, you know, I have been in control of my life, my career, my finances, and all of a sudden, all that's been whipped away from me. So the circle of concern and influence really helps me to work out the things that I can't do anything about. So I can't do anything about the fact that my job's gone. But what I can do is maybe get my CV up to date or get on LinkedIn or start talking to people about jobs that are available. So they did some work with people around, um, you know, workshops, things like CV workshops, LinkedIn workshops. And I found that really empowering while people were still there. And the great thing about that, you know, sometimes companies offer outplacement support which is brilliant again but actually you need to feel in control and empowered when you're going through this process so that was a brilliant thing to do other things they did they treated people with dignity and respect they understood that it was a really difficult thing from a human perspective so I think you know there are examples of companies who do follow process very well and they you know but it's if it's a tick box exercise that I need to fill this form in and submit it by this and then if there's this percentage of employees impacted I need to do this if it is purely based on that you're missing a massive trick in engaging your people so I think the human side of it has to be considered as much as the following the process side yeah. so companies who do it well do all the things that we've mentioned, I think. They understand that people might already be under a massive amount of stress with the economy and you know what's going on at home with cost of living crises and all that kind of thing. And they treat people humanely. The last couple of things I think is understanding there might be a dip in productivity because no matter how much you try and engage people through this process, people are gonna feel disengaged 
but I think it's understanding and, and allowing for that dip. And, you know, as we've talked about to training your line managers up so they can treat people humanely with compassion, with empathy, I think are absolutely kind of key things, really. And they, they did all that, maybe not the first time, first time, you know, maybe wasn't quite so slick, but the, the more I suppose they went through it, the better and better it became. So um, in the end, you you sort of almost became more resilient to it, I think, because of the tools that they give you. I think the other thing they did very well was think about afterwards. And I think that's something that not many companies do. So you can't go through this process of restructure or redundancy. And then when it finishes, just say to everybody, right, get on with it. Because there's some grieving going on. You know, there's this feeling of, oh gosh, I've, I'm still here, but my best mate's gone or whatever. And there's this feeling of uncertainty. So they did that very well as well, you know, reaffirming the goals of the organization and where everybody's heading to and being really clear to people about what they, what was expected of them from their roles. And I think that's really important to this kind of, right, okay, that's happened. We don't wanna brush it under the carpet, but we wanna start focusing on the future now. So that, that was really important too, I think. And that's a step that's often forgotten. Mm, that's really important, isn't it? So when you talk about the circle of, um, circle of, what did you say, sorry? The circle Influence of and concern, yeah. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so I think I've heard of it as the as control. So what can yeah. you control and what, you know, so letting go of those things that you, you can't control and not yeah. worrying so much about that or focusing on that, yeah. but focusing on the things that you can control. So what, tell us more about the circle of influence. So I think it's I think it's that. So I think it's, you know, you you look at everything that's worrying you, everything that's concerning you. And it's quite um, a sort of a therapeutic exercise, I think. So you brainstorm everything that's worrying you and then you like on post-it notes or something. And then you say, OK, what can I control and what can't I? Um, and in the workshops that I ran just before I left, actually, when I was impacted and I knew I was leaving by that stage, it was it's quite challenging, I think, because people think, oh, I can't. I don't know, I can't impact whether I can get another job or not. And you when you challenge people on that, you say, you can, you are fundamentally in control of whether you get another job or not. What do you need to do to start thinking about getting another job? So people came out of those sessions, including me, with very much a, right, what I need to do is I need to, you know, update my CV. I need to contact the bank and tell them I'm at risk and see if I can put my mortgage on hold. I need to get on LinkedIn and contact people and say, oh, might be at risk of redundancy here if you've got anything going where you are. And all of those things help you take control of the situation. Otherwise, what happens, I think, is you sit there really understandably dwelling on the fact that, gosh, this is awful and I'm going to lose my livelihood and the job that I've loved and whatever. And that becomes overwhelming. So splitting the two things out into... These are things that I have got influence and control over. And these are the things that I haven't is a really great way, I think, of helping people start to feel in control again. So it's a Stephen Covey tool. We love Stephen Covey. <laughs> yeah, the circle of influence, I've, I've, um, it might be a, another management um, method, but, um, you know, if you do have influence over something to exercise that influence and use it. So in meetings, for example, have your say, have, give your opinion, you know, don't be scared. Um, because if you if you don't use your sphere of influence, it can 
it can shrink but if you do use your sphere of influence it can grow and more yeah. things can come from it maybe I'm confusing to you no no that's exactly it I think I think people have taken it and adapted it but that's exactly it so the theory is absolutely that the more you the more you get in that inner circle and you exert your influence and you speak up at meetings and you say what you want from situations and you take control the bigger that gets and things that you can't do anything about get smaller and smaller and smaller Mm, great thank you brilliant thanks I quite I like the idea of the um circle of influence I think about it quite often yes yeah it's a really handy tool we use it at home we use it with kids we use it in the workplace so it is it's a brilliant really flexible tool yeah I think I think the key thing for me is is listening as well you know the employees just need employers just need to listen to their employees and and somebody once said to me um in in the HR team where I worked I I think about if I had a family member who was going through this situation and how I would want them to be treated and I just make sure that I try and treat everybody as if they were family members in the most kind of respectful human way that I can I just thought gosh what a lovely way of looking at things actually that you really humanize it so it becomes less about the process and more about the people which is brilliant Mm, yeah that is a very nice way to look at it great um so just talking more generally then in terms of uncertain times you know we've had uncertainty for quite a a couple of years now um and it doesn't seem to be um um, improving um we've got to quite quite turbulent times ahead perhaps what would be your general advice around keeping employees engaged just generally throughout turbulent times? You know, we've got um, we've talked about financial well-being, um, you know, as something that's being talked about more now that people would appreciate someone to talk about money to, you know, and breaking down that stigma around around costs and, and how people are going to cope through through this time. Um, but it is quite stigmatized still. We've talked about well-being, you know, and looking after your mental health. So it is a this is a large topic, but mm. I just wondered if you had anything in particular around sort of keeping employees engaged whilst at work during during tough times. So exactly those things. I mean, you know, if I'd have talked to you about, you know, financial well-being and well-being 30 years ago, everybody would have gone what 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 is she talking about but now I think it's becoming more and more prevalent in terms of being talked about but in terms of being needed as well so I think you know the the one thing that I think we might be expecting from COVID is a sort of a bit of a mental health crisis because as you say the turbulent times have just gone on and on and on so I think looking after mental health and financial wealth is is really important other things as well I mentioned listening there I think listening to your employees having that two-way dialogue is really important but there are still the sort of bones of employee engagement that people know about but sometimes forget about so the importance of telling me where I fit in in a company so how what I do contributes to the bigger picture of what the organization is trying to achieve and I think by doing that you offer again it's about that security thing so you're telling me that I directly kind of have an impact and this is how I fit in and that gives me a massive sense of employee engagement that I know how what I'm doing contributes to the big picture so I think that's that's a key one being really clear about what employees need to achieve I think is another one so you know we do go into lots of organizations where people aren't particularly clear on their objectives and I think 
in times of uncertainty, people being really clear about what it is they need to achieve, how they're going to be measured, what good looks like is really, really important. So we do quite a lot of work on that, trying to tell employees what it is they need to achieve. Because if I don't know what I need to be doing, how do I know whether I'm doing it well? How do I know whether I'm doing it badly? And how do I get that sense of satisfaction and engagement? So for us, that's a really, really big one. Um, and I suppose going back to your bit about the well-being, we've seen a massive kind of um, growth in expectations around culture and values. And I think that's becoming more and more important to people as well. So the importance of an organisation having really clear values and everybody in that organisation living those values. So that's really important. And it only takes somebody to, you know, maybe somebody slightly senior to go against those values to kind of create a bit of a feeling of mistrust and disengagement in an organization. So we've seen a lot around culture and values coming up recently. And I suppose the other massive thing that you and I have probably both seen is about the flexibility that's come out of this hybrid sort of working that people have done. And I think there's a bit of a risk in that of, I can completely see why organisations want to get people back in the office, even for really short periods of time in terms of knowledge sharing, relationship building. You know, I can't imagine having, you know, come out of university as a graduate and not being around people and learning and things from them. But I think there has to be a real balance in that between if I'm saying you need to come back into the office maybe one day a week, I need to make sure that that one day a week is worthwhile. If I'm sat in the office doing exactly what I would be doing at home, why have I bothered with the commute? And I'm just sitting there and I'm disengaged. So, so for me, for companies who are starting to say to people now, come back into the office for one, two, whatever days a week, I think they need to make sure that those days are packed with the value. So for me, it's why. Why do you want people to come back in? And if it is to share knowledge, if it is to start building relationships, make sure you create those opportunities. Otherwise, people are going to be really annoyed that I've commuted for, you know, a three or four hour round trip and spent however much on petrol or train. And I've just sat there on, you know, video calls exactly like I could have done at home. So I think for me, those are the kind of the changes really that we've seen recently. So that people responding to that hybrid working. Mm, indeed yeah it's, it's interesting talking to businesses about what they are doing around that sort of one or two day back in the office yeah. and a lot of organizations are making it slightly different so having those you know really important team training sessions maybe or uh, brainstorming sessions which are hard to do uh, in a virtual environment yeah. uh, you know so making it worthwhile and, and even giving um, employees perks you know doing a brunch or a lunch or a breakfast or a I don't know some sort of gathering um, around food yeah. <laughs> option. Um, just to make it a bit special a bit different otherwise as you say they might as well just be sitting at home and it's no different yeah. um, but no I totally get your point though about people coming into the workplace it must be incredibly difficult to learn and pick up um, you know cues around and nuances of culture if you're not around people mm. um, constantly it's interesting I've recently started working with a, um, a client and who are fully remotely based and I, I am operating in quite a sort of involved HR consultant role um, and there's no one to sort of ask those silly questions to yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so it's and you don't quite know if you're in a, an office environment, you get to know who you can ask, who you feel safe to ask those silly questions to. Yeah. Um, but but if you're fully remote, it's really much harder. And I've I've learned that. So it's really interesting to see that. And I'm an external person and I'm more experienced. So goodness knows what it's like for people, younger people coming into the workplace. And I think you really have to make an effort in terms of your onboarding and induction processes to make sure that those opportunities for for more informal chatting um, are there, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's sometimes difficult because the people making the decisions are more senior in the organisation. So they've built their reputation, they've built their career, they've built their knowledge, they've progressed to a level that they might be happy with. And it's then hard to think back about what it was like, you know, to come into, I don't know, maybe 18. And, you know, I remember going into a place and thinking, oh my God, where's the photocopy of where's the number? And, and that was in a physical workplace, as you say, I think, you know, times that by the remoteness. And it's so much more difficult trying to navigate it. So, but it is about making sure your onboarding is meaningful and you know things like buddies buddying people up with somebody that is going to be a really good friend to them who can sort of take them through certain things so yeah I I think that's a brilliant idea so so coming out of the uh, lockdowns and everything what would be your advice in terms of keeping and those businesses that are retaining a sort of remote or hybrid working model what would be your advice to keep a team engaged and employees engaged in a sort of more remote working setting I think I think for me it's talking to them and listening to them so I think sometimes you you know, you fall into a trap of thinking that you know what people want, thinking you know whether people are engaged or not. So for me, it's very much talking and listening to employees. So I'll give you an example. Lots of companies do things like employee engagement surveys, which are brilliant. They they, they have absolutely got their place. But if you just look at employee engagement surveys, sometimes they lead you down the wrong path. So uh, it might come up that recognition is not very good. So you think, oh, let's throw our recognition scheme out because that's obviously not very good. And actually, the scheme might be fine. It just might not be publicised enough. It might be the ad hoc thank yous and, wow, you did a great job there from line managers and senior managers that's missing. So I think just by doing things like surveys and you you miss a trick, I think just by far the best way is to sit down with your employees and talk to them, find out how engaged they are, find out what you can do to engage them more. And it's not around putting a you know table tennis table in the break room or putting a you know table football table in the break room it's never about that or beers in the fridge it's more about the fundamentals treating me like a human being respecting me and listening to what I've got to say um, and making sure that you remove as much stress from me so I can just get on and do my job because that's what people want at the end of the day so just make sure that you talk to your employees and you actually do listen to what they say those would be my top tips I guess thank you um, we talked about um, statistics around employee engagement earlier, but um, I actually wanted to touch as well, if we can go back to that, on the costs of disengagement. So if your employees are not engaged, what is the actual cost to the business? And how yeah, I, I think it varies depending on what stat you look at. But as a, as a UK economy, they say it's absolutely it's in the billions, hundreds of billions is the actual amount of us being a disengaged Um, workforce I mean typically the stats are that only a third of your employees are engaged Um, and when you look at what we're all going through at the moment that may have dropped I don't know it's hard to say some companies we work for employees seem more engaged because they can work more flexibly into a way that suits them 
other companies that we look at, that's dropped because people aren't getting feedback and things. You know, people aren't getting that. You come out of a meeting room and you go and get a coffee and somebody comes up and says, oh, I want to give you some feedback on this. You know, all that ad hoc stuff that's really important to people. But they reckon it's hundreds of billions in terms of the UK alone with disengaged employees. And the the I suppose the slightly worrying thing is that that figure's been at a third since, or certainly since Peopletopia have been running, which is 11 years. So what are people doing? And I think there was a flurry at the beginning where people were focusing on the, the great stuff, you know, let's be a good place to work and let's have, you know, beers in the fridge and table tennis tables. And, and that's now massively changed. I think that's really changing where people understand that's not what is important to somebody. But the, the cost of disengagement is, is massive. And even in terms of, you know, if I take two more sick days because actually I'm just feeling a bit ropey and I, you know, I might not be bothered to work as opposed to, oh, I'm, I'm feeling a bit ropey, but I'll see how I feel as the day goes on. You know, that is a massive cost in terms of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands to businesses, depending on how big they are. So, and again, in terms of retention, if you're losing 50% of your workforce because your managers aren't great, you just think, gosh, the cost of bringing someone into the business recruiting, you know, especially where we are at this precise point where recruitment's really tough, I think, for people. So if you think about, I need to recruit, the cost of that, I need to bring someone into the business, I need to get them trained up, you know, which will take three to six months to get somebody up to speed. The costs are absolutely phenomenal. So it is worth thinking about and trying to do something about it. And I suppose overall, it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing fundamentally, despite all the statistics, it's a good thing to do to want to engage your workforce and have motivated, engaged and happy employees, I think. Indeed. Yes, absolutely. Um, if there is an employer out there who's thinking, um, who's aware that their employees are a bit more on the disengaged side of things, what, I mean, we've talked about staff surveys, we've talked about listening. Are there any other practical tips, just first steps? Because this can be quite, it's a big topic and this can be quite daunting, you know, where to even start. So what would be your sort of practical first step tips? I think, um, <laughs> well, I'm slightly biased, but I would maybe bring someone in. <laughs> Because I think, you know, on a, from an unbiased perspective, people do talk more to externals. If there's something wrong in your organisation that means engagement is low, people might not talk to people internally because there isn't that level of trust. There isn't that culture of two-way communication. So I think it is always worthwhile bringing somebody in who can talk to employees and look at your engagement survey, look at what that really means in terms of areas of priority that you need to work in but I would always default to looking at your managers because that's my day-to-day -day interaction um, and you know all again the evidence has shown that it's managers who have the biggest impact on engagement so again look at have you trained them up what do you think they're like have they got emotional intelligence have they been promoted because they're technical experts and might not be brilliant at managing people. And overwhelmingly, I think people go into work and want to do the best job they can. So we need to give people the opportunity to do that. And just half a day, one day, two days training as a manager lets them see things in a different light and treat their employees differently. I'll give you an example. We had a manager on our course a few weeks ago who said, gosh, I never realized the impact of moving one-to-ones. He said, when I... 
um, you know, if, if things get busy, I just say, oh, Bob, I'm going to move you one to one. And he said, I never thought of the impact that has on that person to have their one to one constantly moved. But what I'm saying is, oh, sorry, things are constantly coming up that's more important than you. And just those little insights mean you treat people differently, I think, and you prioritize the people rather than the task. And I think that's often what we see in, in, in you know, industries is sometimes people just focus too much on the task that needs to be done and not the people doing it and and I love Richard Branson's quote where he says actually I don't I don't care about my customers because I look after my employees and I have full faith that they will then look after their customers if we treat our employees right and I love that sometimes I think people focus on the wrong things so getting someone external in or even evaluating it yourselves internally to think are we really focusing on the right things and have we got the things in place that we fundamentally need to have? I think that's a really good starting point. Yeah, that Richard Branson quote is great, isn't it? Because we use we use that all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you can so tell if if someone if you go into a restaurant or something or or anywhere where you're being, whether there are people that you you sort of engage with, um, you can so tell if they're happy and engaged and loving their work, or if they're just really, really not not with it. And you can. Not, you can it has such an impact and then that impacts on the the customer's experience and whether they may or may not return to that place yeah absolutely but and I think the the, the thing that again sort of going back to Richard Branson the thing that he does is he says his people are important and then everything he does demonstrates that whereas you see, look at some organizations who say we well, know our people are really important and then everything they do seems to go against that which again causes this sort of massive distrust um you know so I, I think you need to say what you're gonna do and be really clear on delivering that you know if I say these are my values if I say this is our culture you need to stick to that from the very very top of the organization all the way through yeah I quite agree and you were just saying before I just want to come back to something you were saying before about um you know engagement maybe the difference between somebody feeling um not great one day but but you know I'm going to try and start working and see how I get on versus somebody not not at all is that not trying at all and having the day off sick from the work yeah 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 I think there's a balance there isn't there because you you also want sort of people to feel safe to have time off absolutely feel forced into you know oh I don't feel great today but I feel like I ought to work yeah so there's that sort of balance there isn't there yeah absolutely I suppose what the thing I was referring to most is you know oh I might not I might not have any holiday left um, but I want a long weekend, um, yeah. so I'm gonna maybe call in sick. Sometimes we don't feel it, you know. It's I I am co-owner of my own business, and even I wake up sometimes and think oh, I'm not feeling the love today. But because it's my own business, I think come on, get yourself in the office and see how you get on, and do an hour. And then if you don't feel very well, you know, call Claire and say oh, I'm just feeling a bit ropey. And after an hour, you tend to find actually more into the swing of it and. I'm feeling better and you know feeling more engaged in what I'm doing but absolutely that I'm not in any way advocating people who are feeling genuinely rough and feel that they can't call in to say actually I'm feeling you know I'm feeling really poorly and and people who you know feel that they need to go into the office when they've got flu and things and sit there coughing and sneezing all day I'm just like no that's the opposite of what we want stay at home and go to bed so yeah it's um yeah it's it's not that it's about that that effort of 
actually you know I feel I don't feel 100% today I might just call in sick yeah or actually I'll see how I go you know and and mm. call it call in sick if I do still feel poorly mm. great thank you um we're coming to the end of our time Gail um were there any final thoughts you wanted to share that perhaps we haven't already touched on I think similar to you Polly my my overall thing is and when managers say to me Gail what's the you know you've got a lot of stuff here you've got a lot of tools and techniques for being a great manager what's the overwhelming thing that I need to consider and I think for me it's to just genuinely give a damn about your employees and care about them and treat them as people and I think you may get some things wrong in your day-to-day life as managers, leaders, company owners. But actually, if people know you come from a place of treating people with respect and genuinely caring about your employees, I think people will forgive the odd kind of mistake where you don't communicate when you should or something goes out wrong or whatever. If people know it's coming from that place of humanity, as we've talked about. So I think that's really important. So, So for me, overall, it's about genuinely caring about the people in your organization and doing right by them first and if you if you look after your people they will look after the profit you know there's there's this thing about oh well we also have to be profitable and to do that we have to grind employees into the ground you don't you get much more from employees if you treat them as humans so I suppose that's my overall takeaway do you think we're at a sort of time of shift now of change where this is coming through more or I think people are voting with their feet if they're not. Mm. I think people are just thinking, this isn't what I want. This isn't the kind of organisation I want to work for. And they're voting with their feet and leaving, especially with the sort of the new generations coming through. If they don't get what they want, they'll just pack up and leave. So I think the days of staying with companies out of sort of, you know, loyalty, whether it's misplaced or not, and being in a job for life is just completely gone. So a massive shift, I think. And I think that's going to keep on shifting. Mm, interesting great thank you um if people would like to get in touch with you gail how what's the best way for them to get in touch with you so we've got a website peopletopia.co.uk or i am gail g-a-i-l at peopletopia.co.uk so do feel free to drop us a line even if you just wanted to pick our brains on something we're really happy to to do that we are really passionate about what we do um so yeah if anybody's got any questions any thoughts anything they want to discuss just give us a buzz or drop us an email Brilliant. Thank you so much, Kale. Thank you, Polly. Thanks.